Thank you, choir. Thank you to all of our musicians this morning. Take your Bibles, church. And let's just look at Paul's song here in Romans chapter 8 as uh, we continue this series on freedom, freedom in Christ. And uh, it's been a couple of weeks while I was uh, uh, out of the pulpit and you heard some great messages. But let me just remind you uh, where we are at. It began in John chapter 8 with this remarkable, remarkable promise an invitation from the Lord Jesus. He said this in John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you truly are, you'll truly be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and let's say it together, and the truth will set you free. Later on he says, And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Indeed. And so we've been looking at this concept of being free in Christ. And there are so many wonderful angles and wonderful thoughts about this. And I can only just select a, select a few. But what we saw in the very first message is that true freedom, real freedom, isn't what we uh, really think about. It is, it is freedom from sin and slavery and death and all those things that are better. Freedom from that, but it's freedom to surrender. And that real freedom is given by God. He says, if you abide in me, you'll be free. I'll give you the truth. It's my truth. And I use the illustration of the umbrella of how Christ says, you come under the umbrella with me. Uh, freedom is not out there just running around in the rain by yourself. Freedom is walking and abiding with me. And when you're with me, you're under, you're under my rule. You're under my, you're under my authority. You're under my care. And so it is a freedom given by God to surrender to him. In fact, Paul says in Romans 6, 17, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, this is odd, having been set free from sin, you become what? Slaves of righteousness. So it's, a nat it's an interesting thing. He says, so you're set free to surrender to God. Then second of all, we looked at our freedom. Our freedom is no excuse to sin. Our freedom from the law is, is no excuse to cause others to stumble. So freedom is governed by love. It's not governed by a law. Our freedom is governed by love. And we have rights and freedoms as believers, but we, we have a right to surrender those through service to others because ultimately love controls us. And when you're under the umbrella with Christ, you're walking with Christ, He is going to help you discern uh, how you love people and serve people uh, in those gray areas in life. So we looked at uh, freedom being governed by love. In fact, Paul said this, for though, 1 Corinthians 9, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a what? servant to all. So in his freedom, he surrendered to Christ, became a slave of Christ, and in his freedom, he became a servant to all that he might win more of them. So we look at those two aspects of freedom. Now, today I want to talk about freedom from fear and regret. Fear and regret. Mark Batterson, pastor at National Community Church, he writes really some, some wonderful books he says this in one of his books called If. He says, at the end of your life, your greatest regret won't be the things you did. At the end of your life, the greatest regret will be the things you wish you had done, but you didn't. Your greatest regret will be the things you didn't do, 
but wish you had. It's the what-if dreams that we never act upon that turn into our only regrets. Uh, he mentioned a study, a sociological study done by two psychologists, Tom Gilovich and Vicki Medvek. According to their research, time is a key factor in what we regret. In the short term, and I, I really think this kind of in early and midlife, you begin to, you're more concerned about the actions you did and kind of, kind of uh, you're, you're, you're worried about those things. But uh, it's about a 50-50, they noticed uh, in terms of, 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 of testing people what they regretted more, what they hadn't done or what they had done. But as time goes by, we have this acute feeling of regret more over our inactions than our actions. 84 to 16%. Now, why would I say that? Because regrets, a lot of the regrets we have in life bind us. They challenge us. And as I've been preaching this series, I've been talking to people, and it has been, been, been ministering to people in different ways, but a lot of people are struggling with regret, struggling with shame, struggling with guilt. Struggling with things they wish they had done more with their kids or with their grandkids or had done more with their spouse. And they're struggling with, what if I'd done this or what if I'd done that? And one of the, the key beliefs I think that, that I have, and, and, and I think it's, it, it bears up in Scripture, is that uh, missed acts of faith, missed opportunities, missed obedience, it's most often caused by mishandled fear. Missed acts of obedience are most often caused by mishandled fear. Now, here's why I say mishandled fear. Fear is a good thing. Fear is a good thing. You, you, uh, uh, if you didn't fear snakes or feel that fear, fear gators, alligators, or you didn't fear heights, I mean, there are natural fears that are good. Fear is not a bad thing. It is a helpful thing. It keeps us alive. It keeps, it keeps our children alive. Uh, it motivates progress in technology and medicine. I'm so glad people fear dying. They've come up with medicines to keep me from dying. I'm glad there's healthy fear that leads to all sorts of fear, but when fear ta- uh, all sorts of good things, but when fear takes root, fears go wild. Fears become unchallenged, become bondage. They rob us of the freedom Christ wants us to have. And when we are robbed of that freedom, we're right where the enemy wants us. We're right where Satan wants us in a life of regret. I wish I had shared my faith. I wish I had given to that. I wish I had gone there. I wish I had done this. And and we end up living looking backwards at failed opportunities instead of forward to future possibilities. We don't want to be trapped and fear. I, I was, uh, I had an experience the other day that to me was a vivid illustration of the frustration God must have with me and you all when we are afraid and, and fear keeps us caged in or regret or shame or guilt. Uh, my wife said, uh, as soon as I got home, David, you need to go out on the back porch. There's a squirrel inside of our pool enclosure. You know, with all there's a squirrel trapped inside. 
and I'm like, why don't you take care of the squirrel? No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I wanted to, and she'll hear it publicly this morning. No, I'm just kidding. I'm the man. I, I, I hunt animals, right? So that's my job. I got the broom, and I go out there, and then man, this squirrel is just pitching a fit. He's just squawking, and he's, he's running around. And so I go up to the squirrel. I open both doors at the end of the enclosure, and he's up on the wall uh, uh, under the porch, and I, I try to just guide him towards the right. I said, son, it's wide open. Just head on out there. And the squirrel just, the squirrel could not take his eyes off of me. And the squirrel was so fearful, and he did a, a whole loop around the pool enclosure, went by both doors. And so here I am trying to convince this squirrel to get out, and it was very frustrating, but also served for me just a wonderful analogy of how frustrated God must be when he is directing us in a way that leads to life, and we won't take it. That poor squirrel, he needed to become convinced of a reality. The reality is, I didn't want to eat him. I didn't want to kill the squirrel. I wanted to help the squirrel, right? I, had, I knew your life is going to be no good inside this pool enclosure. I'm not going to feed you. You're going to die, right? You need to get out, go through the door, and live the life God intended you to live. God wants that for some of you here this morning. You're stuck. And what's got you caged in is fear. I mean, that squirrel just was convinced I was no good. And I had no intention. He, was, he couldn't take his eyes off of me. And he couldn't see the see-through uh, uh, screen. And so he just couldn't understand. Why can't I get back where I'm supposed to be? And who is this that's after me? Who is this? Well, I for him was that fear. But in all actuality, I was for him his salvation. Instead of seeing me as his savior, he saw me as his predator. How do we, how do we avoid those moments? How many times have we, God has been directing us to a door of incredible opportunity? A door that would lead to greater joy and peace. A door of effective ministry and mission. How often has he been nudging us towards that and we're like, no, I'm not good enough. I'm not ready. I'm kind of, I don't really want to. I'm afraid of that. How do we, how do we overcome uh, the fears that rob us? Of our freedom in Christ. How do we make sure fear doesn't keep us running around in circles. Regretting the missed opportunities God gives us in life. How do we overcome the fear. Of trusting the nudges of the father. To enter into a full and faith filled life. We'll turn over to Romans chapter 8. And I just want to give you a few principles. Out of this incredible, incredible chapter. I know I preached out of it not long ago. But it, it is a. It is one of those chapters you can spend the rest of your life waiting in its depths. Never get to the bottom of it. It is, uh, many argue, the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. It is the gospel in a nutshell. And it has principles that free us. Free us. But it's interesting to me that Romans chapter 8 follows Romans chapter 7. You know what's in cha Romans chapter 7? 
Paul describing his life as running around in circles. He's like, the things that I want to do, I want to go through that door, I don't do. And the things that I'm doing, I don't want to do, and I keep doing them. And he keeps talking about the frustration that you and I have in our flesh. If we're living in the flesh, we're just going to run around in circles because we're fearful, uh, we are sinful, and we'll end up living a life uh, that isn't free, that's not fully functioning as uh, one of God's children. And that fear and that sinfulness keeps us in the cage. And so he, 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 he talks about that frustration in Romans chapter 7, the last five verses. He's talking about then, but then he goes to Romans chapter 8. What does he confront? The frustrations of his fear, the frustrations of his sin, what does he confront it with? Well, three things we're going to look at. You fight fear, first of all, with facts. You fight your fear with facts. Verse 1, one of the greatest facts you will ever read in the Word of God. There is therefore, now, what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation? None. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's talking to a group of Romans and believers, and they were coming out of paganism. Some of them were Jews, and were coming out of legalism. And he's just he's looking at all of them. He says, "You Jewish folks, the law condemned you. You were just you knew it was frustrating. You could never quite obey all the law." Get off of that merry-go-round. Get out of that, that enclosure. Christ is the door. The Father wants you to go through it, and He wants you to be free from that. And you don't have to stay in there. If you stay living under the law, you're going to continually feel condemned. There is no condemnation if you're living in the sphere or in the, in the, uh, the body of Christ. There's no condemnation there. Because He has fulfilled the law. He has given you righteousness. How many of you believe that? Then we need to live like that. Free from condemnation. And he's talking in, in this context about their sin. The sin that they felt through the law. And then the pagans had come out of this life of paganism and all sorts of idolatry. And he says, folks, listen, you coming in here... You, you don't have to live in the guilt of what you did. You don't have to live in the guilt of your past. God knows everything about you, all of your past. Now inside of Christ, when you walk through the door into the body of Christ, there is therefore no condemnation. Confront your fear with that fact. Confront your guilt with that. Your shame. There's no condemnation. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you, what? Free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I want you to look real quickly at that verse. It says you are free in Christ Jesus. I love to pull out old Greek things and make you think I'm smart. But in, in seminary, they said that's a locative of sphere. You're in the sphere of Christ. In Christ you're located in Christ is where you find forgiveness. When you are outside of Christ, if you've never trusted Christ, you face condemnation because you are living under His law. 
You're living under your own will. And you will have to stand before God in, your, in the sphere of David or in the sphere of John or Susie or whoever you might be. If you choose to be in your sphere, your kingdom, you're going to have to face judgment according to the law. But if you choose Christ, there is therefore no condemnation. So notice, notice how Paul is attacking fear with facts. Verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So he just says, hey folks, look. Look at the facts. Christ died for the ungodly. He is giving you his righteousness. You take your sin. Don't get trapped in a performance Christianity. Don't get trapped in a works-based salvation. You know why it's hard? It's, it's even hard to preach sometimes this message of full grace. Because I know, I know and you know. What would happen if we removed all the speed limit signs on 75? I wish they would move them. If I was the only one on the road. But since I'm not, and I don't trust that everybody can judge their own speed around me and my children, I'm glad there's some limits. So we want to put those signs up and we want to we want to control things, but Christ said, listen, you're governed by love now. And if you love God with all your heart and you love your neighbor as yourself, you will not speed and drive recklessly. You will not. He says, so trust me in this. Fight your fears with facts. So this is just an illustration of that, but then... He, he does something interesting here. Romans chapter 8 verse 5. Look at verse 5. He says you need to also adjust your focus. Part of our fear problem is a focus problem. That squirrel, it was funny watching him. He was looking at two things. He was looking for a way out and he was looking at me. I was his fear. He had hope. I went out. But then he had this fear. And as I got, you know, if, if he were smart... He would have jumped right onto my arm. If he were a smart squirrel, he jumped right there. I would have said, how you doing? Let's go. And I would have escorted him out, gave him a little bit of, you know, some peanuts or something fun that he could have and just let him go. That's what I'd have done. How many of you would have done that for that squirrel? How many of you would have shot him, killed him right in my pool enclosure? I know, I know heartless people. That's why that squirrel's so scared of me. It's because of you. No, I understand. He was focused on his fear. Look at, what, look at what Paul says. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. You're looking at earthly things, including your own weaknesses, your own flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind 
on the Spirit is life and peace. I'm just sharing with you the continual battle of my life. And I think, here's the way I think, if, if I'm battling with it, you probably battle with it. Is I fear my own weakness. I fear my own weakness as a pastor. That I will fail you. How many of you ever fear failure? In, in a sense, that's a healthy fear because it motivates. But if it takes root, it can paralyze me. And it can paralyze you, right? If I look at the weakness of the flesh instead of God's strength, I can become paralyzed. You can become paralyzed. Got to move the focus. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12, the apostle... The apostle says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of examples, witnesses, let's lay aside every weight, the sin which so clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking at your own strengths. No, you better not. Looking after your weaknesses, making sure you don't have any. No, you better look at Jesus. Why? Jesus, not David, is the founder of and perfecter of the faith. He can do it. He is your strength. And so you focus on Jesus. But here's what we need to do. Just a few things. You might write these down. Make sure you move your focus daily. Move your focus from your weakness to his strength. From your weakness to his strength. Move your focus, secondly, from how people see you to how God sees you. Does that ever paralyze you? Does that ever cause you to do some things, buy some things, wear some things, say some things, avoid some people? Because if you're honest, you're concerned about what others see when they see you, or what they're going to think about what you are and who you are and what you might say. I think this imprisons people constantly People who are saved, people who the door's wide open and yet you're, you're just constrained by fear of what people think. Thirdly, move your focus every day. Move your focus from what you don't have to what you do have. I was reading uh, this week about uh, uh, Michael Hyatt has a, a, a weekly thing that he sends out. He was talking about the scarcity mentality Versus the abundance mentality. And as he was just kind of delineating some of the differences. I think a lot of us live with a scarcity mentality. If only I had this. If I just had this. If I just had this. And you're just constantly imprisoned by I wish I had this. If, if only, And it, it becomes for you an excuse. And it becomes for you a cage. A prison. But Jesus wants you to know that with him you are heir to all things and that you you live and, and to be grateful look at all of the things you have been given and so the abundance mentality is one that um, doesn't seek abundance it's not somebody that's greedy the abundance mentality is waking up and going man I am blessed I am blessed Look at what Christ has done for me. We get to sit. Let's just be thankful for a minute. 
You just had a wonderful time of singing in a cool, air-conditioned environment. Praise the Lord. Let's say praise Jesus. You walk, yeah, absolutely. You walked in in freedom without fear that you're going to lose your job because you're trusting Christ. Most of you can be Christians publicly and not lose your job. Many of you, like me, all your children woke up this morning in their own home with a roof over their head. Praise Jesus. It's just a different way of thinking. It's a different focus. Move your focus from what you don't have to what you do have. And it, it may, you may, like that squirrel, find your way into a life of abundance. And a life of abundance isn't what you get. It is realizing and being content with the blessings that you have. And the fourth thing, move your focus from past failure to future possibilities. I love what Paul says. He says, I have not attained it yet, but forgetting what lies behind, I press on. I press on. He's, you know, Paul, of all the apostles, probably had by far the most to regret. All those apostles could line up and point their fingers at Paul all day long and said, you stood by with a smile on your face while Stephen the angelic Stephen was stoned to death. You chased Christians from their home, and you were so pious. You thought you were so great as a Pharisee, and you had all that wealth, and you're a Roman citizen, and you have all of those privileges. They could have just, and some, and, and, and some actually did, not of those original apostles, but some of those church leaders in that, uh, said that about Paul. And Paul, he's, he, had to, he had to say, I, there is no condemnation for me, a stoner of Christians. There's no condemnation for me who was blind to Jesus and rejected Jesus. There's no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. He had to learn to live past his past. He had to walk through that door. You know, I don't know that that happened exactly overnight. I think he struggled with it. There's indications that Paul, after his initial uh, salvation, and is that he went off and spent some time alone. And I, sometimes I think he may have been over there just kind of getting this in order. I helped kill. I was glad about the destruction of what I love with all my heart right now. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you have done things that you wouldn't want anybody in here to know. Guess who knows them? Jesus. And you know, He knew them before He went to the cross. As God, He knew you, your life, He knew your sin and he went anyway, and he offers you complete freedom. And I know it's hard. And the enemy is going to want to do this. He's going to want to take your face. And he's going to want to take it off of your father and put it back on your path. And, and Jesus is going to say, no, look at me. No, look at me. And the enemy is going to go, no, look what you did. Look how you failed. 
Look how weak you were. And this chapter just keeps calling your face back to God. I think, I think the apostle was saying something like this in Philippians chapter 4 in verse 8. He says, finally brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable... If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Maybe put your name in there. Whatever is true about you, whatever is honorable about you, whatever is just, whatever is pure, think about those things. Be grateful that those things are there by the grace and mercy of God and strength of God in you. And you will find, verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What's got you caged in this morning? What are you struggling with? The third thing that we see in this chapter, look down at verse 31. We've got to fight this fear or we're going to have a lot of regrets. We're going to have to fight regrets if we don't fight the fear. He says, here's some things to believe. He gives rhetorical questions. Four, I just want to pull out four of these rhetorical questions. And rhetorical questions are meant to make a point. They're not meant to be answered. The answer is obvious. He says, what shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for his all, how will he not also with him graciously give us how many things? All things. Then he asks a third question. Who's going to bring a charge against God's people, God's elect? That's you if you're a Christian. It is God who determines that you're justified, not others. And who's going to condemn? And then verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress? Who's going to separate you from the love of Christ? You could turn these questions into since then questions. Since God is for us, no one can be against us. Since God gave his son to us, he wouldn't withhold anything else we need. Since God declares us innocent, no one can condemn us. Nothing earthly can separate us from God's eternal love. And folks, listen, they, these, are, these are daily, daily thoughts. Ingrain them into your heart because you need them to combat. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about. If you will abide in my word, my truth, those four propositions, you abide in that, live in that, that truth will set you free. You'll be living life at a different level. You won't be constrained and captured and tripped up by fears and by those things that, uh, that want to grip your heart. And the enemy, it will combat the enemy's lies into your life. I love verse 15. Look at verse 15 and then we'll, we'll close. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, 
Daddy, Abba, Father. You ever wish you'd listen to your dad? How many of you ever didn't listen to your dad and regretted it? I've done that quite a bit. I admit that and my dad's sitting right over here. Let me tell you, when I was in third grade, third grade, dad, we had a talk and I I wanted to try maybe playing little league football. And I had not played Little League football, but the school, I'd just gotten to Appomattox. I was a brand new kid in town, didn't know anybody. I was the preacher's kid in town. I was kind of nervous about that, and I'd never played football. And, and I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And they had to encourage me, and they were kind of wanting me to get out of the house probably and go do something. And, and so they had me in the car, and I remember sitting there with Dad. We pulled up into the, pulled up into the parking lot. And we were sitting at the parking lot at the elementary school, and the other kids were out on the field. Some of the kids that already arrived were out there playing, and I gripped my seat. I said, I can't do it. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Dad says, no, it's going to be okay. Go on, son. You'll have a good time. I'm sure you'll make some good friends. You'll be good at football. You know, come on, go. It'll be fun. And I'm sitting there gripping the seat. And I said, no, 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 I don't want to go. He said, no, go. You don't want to miss this opportunity. And I said, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And I was probably making up all sorts of excuses. But I was scared. Guess what? I didn't go. We turned around. Went home. I never played one day of organized pad helmet football you know that's just a non-serious example but you know I regret that I was just thinking about the fact what am I what was my dad thinking would it have would it have changed my mind I got to thinking about this what if what if I had known that uh, if I'd known the coach of that football team loved me what if I knew he was close with my father and he had given me a personal invitation to be on the team what if I'd known that about the coach and I saw the coach out there and he smiled at me and did like this would that have made a difference what if I'd known that he thought the coach thought I had potential and he called me up and said you know I could really use you on my team you've got some skills and some gifts that I think could fit in really well come on out you think that would have made a difference absolutely just imagine this do you think it would have made a difference would it have made a difference if I'd known The coach's own son was on the team too. And he wanted to be my best friend. Can you imagine? And you see the coach's son and he's out. Hey, come on out. Come on out. Uh, We're going to have a a lot of fun. It's going to be tough. They're going to run you. You're going to sit ups and push ups. It's going to be tough. And you're going to get hit 
and knocked right down. I'm playing right beside you every down. I'll help you get up. You're going to do great. And I'm going to be your closest friend. You think that would have made a difference? I can just imagine I would have opened that door. I'd have been like, Dad, when are we going to get to practice? I would have opened the door and been just run. If I knew the coach loved me and his son was for me and with me every step of the way, that, did you catch it, is the gospel. There is a head coach. There is a father who loves you. He knows your weaknesses. And he knows the positions probably you can't play. <laughs> but he has invited every single one of you to be a part of his family. And his son Jesus, Jesus, came and he took the penalty for your sin on the cross. And he comes and he says, I, I have not come to condemn you, but that the world might be saved. I'm going to be your friend if you'll let me. How many of you have ever gotten out of the door and decided to join God? How many of you have decided to trust Him with your life? That's the first step towards freedom. And I'm telling you, if you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're in your own car, and the enemy is in there with you, and he is not encouraging you. He's discouraging you. And he's going to tell you like that squirrel, don't believe him. He doesn't have what's best for you. But the cross shows us, the cross tells us, it declares God is for us. Who can be against us?